0: This is the REI Mastermind Network.
1: Well, we have Edna Keep with us tonight. Edna, I really appreciate you joining us because we frankly don't have a lot of guests on with the amount of multifamily experience that you do. So this is going to be a great conversation. But My um,
2: pleasure, Jack.
1: I really want to make sure that everybody has your contact information because you're a great instructor when it comes to this type of stuff too. And I know you have a lot of free material on your website. So everybody make sure you head over to uh, Edna, Edna com. Is that your primary place for most of your yeah. instruction? Yeah. And then uh, you can find Edna on like every social media platform just by looking for her name. I mean, she's, she's got a pretty good foothold everywhere. So you're pretty easy to find.
2: I'm easy to find. And my name's easy to remember
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's <laughs> <Pretty great. short. laughs> So, Um, You know, this is probably going to be a a silly first question, but I'm going to dive right in there Um, with all of the experience you've had, because I know that you, I mean, we're talking about, you were a a single, single mother at like age 16, right? And now you're, you have multi millions dollars in your multifamily portfolio. Uh, that alone probably could be an entire episode, but how did you (laughs) get from that to where you're at today? I mean, that's, I can't imagine the amount of mindset and everything associated with that type of lifestyle change and, and to get you ready for that to the level of success you're at right now.
2: You know, absolutely. And uh, I, I also lived in subsidized housing, and had subsidized daycare. So I wasn't just a single mom, I was a poor single mom, you know, mm-hmm. I always worked, you know, never I went on social assistance or anything like that. I always worked. Um, but yeah, I had to be subsidized because the money just wasn't good. I got told many times when I was young, Jack, you got to learn to live within your means. But you know, I, I always hated that. I hated thinking about budgeting and, and mm. you know, being poor my whole life. I just didn't like that idea. So I decided very early on that I wanted to study how to be rich, not how to learn to live within my means. So that was one mindset I adopted very young. It still took me a long time. Like I never owned my first house till I was 28. Mm. Um, and, and then we took it from there. My first rental, I think I was like I was in my 40s already. So it wasn't like it happened quickly either. But I just kind of always knew that I wasn't going to be that person that would be sitting on a park bench, catching a bus and with cigarette in hand. Like I I just would say, yeah, that's never going to be me. I'm going to drive a nice car. I'm going to dress nice. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, Mm. have a professional job. There was different things like that that I just decided.
1: Yeah. Like, was there something like what – was there a defining moment that you decided to get into real estate? I mean, what what caused you to, when you're studying how to become wealthy, how did you, what led you here? Well,
2: you know, I started out, uh, Jack, by, uh, like, I was just kind of secretary, office administration, that kind of stuff, and while I was working at my last office administration job, I got introduced to becoming a financial advisor, and I was able to do that on a part-time basis, so I started studying to become a certified financial planner while I was still working uh, full-time. And so I did that on evenings and weekends. And where I lived, we were allowed to do that on a part-time basis to start with. And a couple of years later, I actually became a full-fledged financial advisor. And, uh, it, and then I did that for about 15 years. And it was while I was doing that, because I, I never planned on leaving that. I always thought I would just stay in that uh, area. But I had some clients that were telling me about real estate, like some of my wealthier clients. And I thought, geez, I got to check this out. So my husband and I went to one of Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Mm -hmm. first uh, first three hour and then a three day. And at the end of the three day, I, I had a good understanding about what real estate was all about. And I realized that my blinders had really been on about building wealth always just like like in the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, once I understood real estate, you know, within two years, I sold my financial planning practice and all my mutual funds and got all the way into real estate because I liked it. It just felt more tangible to me.
1: Right. You know, it's kind of ironic you say that, uh, you know, you're studying and you have financial planning, but the last thing you want to do is to budget.
2: Hated it. And you know what? Even when I was dealing with clients, that was not something I talked to my clients about. My clients, I talked to them about building wealth and and not not about, you know, nickel and diming everything. I, I've always hated that whole concept of nickel and diming anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, knowing what you know now, I mean, we both, before we started recording here, we're talking about some of the single family home rentals. Um, it's probably something you know, it was pretty obvious that that's probably something you wouldn't have explored now knowing what you do now, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. That's one thing I tell my students when they come forward and people quite often will say, what would you do differently? And I think st- skip the whole single family thing. We've kept our single family homes and our condos just because we don't qualify for mortgages and there's no point selling them. Uh, there's, you know, it's just mortgage pay down, rent, and, and it's not huge. Um, but yeah, I would start straight into multifamily.
1: So what would you, like, uh, that's a pretty daunting thing for a lot of people. Most people have it in their mind, and maybe it's because, you know, from being in being kids, playing Monopoly, you had to get the single-family homes before you could trade them in to get a multifamily place, you know. Um, there's a yeah. mindset thing there to for people to believe that they can acquire a multifamily property.
2: It's totally mindset, Jack, and, you know, um, even the first time when I got approached about buying multifamily, because I was telling this realtor that we were looking at expanding our portfolio, I think we bought like five or six houses a year before, and we we're looking for more houses. And he said, well, and I want to buy a like a multifamily apartment building. I said, "Oh, I can't do that. I don't own enough houses yet, like just automatic. And he said, Oh, yeah, you could. He said, your net worth is good. And, uh, you know, you just have to hire property management and stuff like that. And I went, really, could I? And he said, Oh, yeah. And I said, Well, what do you got? And he said, Well, I just have a 24 unit just hit my desk. He says, I haven't even listed it yet. And I said, Oh, well, we'll take to buy it. And he said, Well, $75,000 a door that was back in 2008. Um, and he said, I would take it. And I said, uh, is, that, is that a good price? I didn't know much about it. I knew we were paying more than that for houses. And he said, Oh, yeah, he said, that's a really good price. He said, But the rents are very under rented, like they hadn't kept up with the times, the sellers. Mm -hmm. And they'd owned the building for like 25 years, really long time. And um, I said, okay, write the offer. So he and he said, well, do you want to go look at it? And I said, well, yeah, I'll drive by because he said you can't actually get in uh, yet. Once we get y'all, you know, offer accepted and stuff, we can get you in. So he wrote up the offer. I drove by the building, came back, signed it and gave our deposit and and then just progressed from there.
1: Sure. So, are there any other tips and tricks that you have about about that process? Like just jumping into multifamily? Like what would what would a person need to know?
2: You um, know, we at least at a basic know- level. Yeah, we needed to know lots, but the realtor was quite um, experienced. But plus, by this time, Jack, we had partnered with a couple who owned like about 20 houses and they managed their own property. So we already had built in property management. So as soon as they came back, they, they were at a town on a, at a conference. Soon as they came back, they said, uh, I invited them over and I said, Hey, if we bought a 24-unit apartment building, would you guys partner with us and manage it? And they said, Oh, yeah, yeah, we would. And that's kind of how it came to be. But you know what I learned over the years, Jack, is the apartment buildings are no harder to buy than a house. It's the same learning curve. The the difference is you know, most people are homeowners, so you already know how to buy a house, right? Because you bought it. But the first time you bought a house, it's daunting, it's scary. It's—I remember the first time I bought a house it was scary, and I was awake at night and I was thinking, "What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong?" You know, I—you know—what if? And then, and then I thought, well, you know what? Everybody I know owns a house; it can't be that bad. Um, and because I was still a single mom at that time, and so then that, that's why I think it's easy to go from your own house to another house because you already did it. Now you just have to add a little bit. You add a tenant, you know, tenant and different insurances and, and, you know, stuff like that. And then you can add another one to duplex a little bit more. So multifamily, there's a few more steps in there, but you know what, once you know those steps and have been through a purchase, it's, it's no hard, no harder to buy than a house. Um, but you do have to learn the process first. So I wouldn't advise doing that all by yourself uh, because there, there's more things that could go wrong. Um, but once you've been through the process once, you know what those things are.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like the first thing you did was find a good realtor and you had a good partner, uh, partners associated with this. And if, I have if, a
2: coach at the time too. Say again? I had a coach. Like with Robert oh. Kiyosaki's group, when I – signed up with them. I signed up for their larger package. It was 27,000 US and I got a personal coach uh, for the first year as well.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about getting that personal coaching, but when you, when you were, let's, let's explore a little bit regarding, uh, you know, it, when we first started out, we kind of, Fell backwards into uh, a good realtor, like right off the bat, who also had some investing experience himself, and and we uh, we fed off of him quite a bit. And I mean, we still work with him to this day. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people struggle to find that that building out that other that team, if you will, that expertise mm-hmm. that you need, especially when you have to admit to yourself that you don't know everything, and you got to start building your team. In your case. It, what would you say would be some good questions to ask if somebody is trying to find a good realtor to get to to start that team relationship?
2: The first question I want my students to ask every single power team member that they get is, do you own rental real estate? Because if mm-hmm. they don't, there's a good chance they don't understand it. And they'll right. sell you anything, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they don't understand it. I still remember one, uh, lady, I met her through something else. I can't remember what it was. And she found out as by I was a real estate investor. So she said, Oh, and I know some places that you want to look at. So I went and looked at them with her. And she was telling me what I was going to get for rent here and this and that. And I went, Oh, no, 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 you're not going to get that for rent in this area. It might, might be a new place. But you're not going to get that for this rent. And she kind of looked at me and she went, Oh, yeah, I guess you'd know, right. But I, I knew enough to say no, I don't believe you. And, and not everybody does. They take everything they say as gospel. And she didn't own a rental property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in some cases, I've dealt with realtors that didn't even own their own house. And I never understood that. It was like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so your accountant, your lawyer, your uh, inspector, everybody should uh, own rental real estate and because they, it's just that much closer for them understanding what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. And that's part of, you know, uh, everybody has this mindset and mentality about using other people's money. But I was trying to get to the point, too, that there's a lot of other things to take advantage of. You know, you can take advantage of other people's experience and knowledge. Knowledge. and, and, uh, And in fact, that's probably more valuable than any of the money they could possibly bring.
2: Yeah, money, money is important. And you know, I teach my students, uh, you know, most of them are looking because most of them, by the time they come to me, they already own, you know, maybe two or three properties, and now they want to scale. And it's like, I ran out of my own money, I can't get any more mortgages, but I still want to grow. What's my next step? So it's either bringing in joint venture partners and buy single family homes or putting a syndication together and, and buying apartment buildings. And that that's the biggest thing that they need to realize. And it's really just a mindset shift. Uh, and sometimes it's a couple more zeros, but it's no harder, it's no tougher, and it's all feasible. You just have to know what you're doing and you have to build a power team that knows what they're doing too. Right.
1: Right. So when you're doing these joint ventures and and finding those actual business type partners outside of asking them, like, do you own rental properties? Is there anything else? Like, how do you vet, make sure it's a good fit?
2: For your joint venture partners. You know, that's where my background came in really uh, strong, Jack, because I was a financial advisor and we had to do risk tolerance assessments on every, before we purchased them into any mutual fund product ever and so it was just a there's just certain questions that you have to know to ask and you also have to keep track of that too you know like you can't just ask them and keep it in your head it has to be written down just in case it's ever comes back to you on in the future because lots of people will think their their risk you know not not risk averse, that they're okay to go. But when you ask them enough questions, sometimes they just don't understand it that, you know, sometimes, as you know, sometimes a real estate investment can, you know, markets change. COVID's changed a lot of things. And it takes you a little bit longer to, you know, pay your investors back and different stuff. Sometimes you have overbuild situations, which again, I believe if you if you master your mindset, you can go through all the rough times, which, you know, it's not easy. You know, it's real estate's not an easy game. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to go through the ups and downs to come out wealthy. It's not, you're going to get in and own real estate for five years and you're going to be a hundred percent. That just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, get rich quick concepts when it comes to real estate investing. And uh, that's not not necessarily the tr- the truth on that
2: build up your net worth fairly quickly. I know we did, but that's not liquid cash. And that mm-hmm. makes a big difference too. You know, we were able to keep building and building and building. You know, you get a couple hundred equity in a property and you do forced depreciation on a property and you can build in, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in a deal. So that really helps you grow, but that doesn't put money in your pocket unless you sell. And then if you sell, you lose half it to taxes and so on and so forth. Um, so, it, you know, the buy and hold, prospect you you've got to you know make sure that your properties are cash flowing at the same time or do like you do like you don't have to own every single property sometimes you wholesale some of them and you know uh, you don't keep everything for yourself
1: right so how do you find these opportunities now that you've been in this for a while like are you still going through a realtor are you buying them off the mls or is it
2: Well, my my students are. They're buying them every way. So through MLS, uh, personal contacts. um, The last few we've bought just right out of our network. You know, we got to know people, they got to know us as being buyers. And so we always got presented deals before they hit MLS. Uh, which is the best way. So I tell my students, you know, the more that you can buy that don't hit MLS, the better opportunity you have for bargain. And it's also nice when you can deal direct with the vendor because we also get a lot of vendor financing on our deals, which Mm -hmm. just means then you have to raise less money from people. Um, But I was mentioning before, you know, with my background as a financial advisor, I also got to know what investors looked for in an investment. And with real estate, because the numbers can be high quite t- quite often, um, it, it they, they regurgitate those to a potential investor and actually scares them. And I still remember this one student came to me and he said he'd been investing the same time frame as me, but he'd scale he'd stopped at, I think, $2 million portfolio and he just couldn't go. He says, Edna, I am finding deals that will pay 40% and I can't get investors. I go, you're scaring them off. You're talking too high numbers for them. You have to keep it. Um, you have to keep it lower, you know, mm. like we don't tell our investors that it's, you know, if, and I mean, if it's, if it's a possibility you can share in the profits later on, but it, if you, you just think about it, if I told you hey, I have an investment for you, it's going to pay 40%, would you automatically think oh, that's too risky out of mm. my league, right? That's what most people think. So you have to be careful how you put that out there.
1: Yeah. It's one of those too good to be true scenarios. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. You know, even myself, if I hear somebody, I get told, you know, I got told about this one opportunity, this lady was telling me, she, oh yeah, he tells you, you can get 28% of return a year on that. And I, even in my own brain, I'm going, oh, it's too risky for me, but it was something I didn't understand. I understand real estate. So it makes more sense, but you're dealing with investors that don't understand it like you do. So you have to be, you have to be really careful with
1: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and
2: he started working with me two years later, he doubled his portfolio just because he, he learned how to talk to a potential investor.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's especially going from two to four. That's a big jump.
2: It is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if, if people really want to make sure that they contact you again, and th- I mean, there's a lot of content and a lot of detail that can be put into multifamily investing. Make sure you head over to EdnaKeep.com. I just want to remind everybody of that again. But I wanted to dive into one thing that you brought up that when this is released, you're probably going to have a, a new portion of your training available around mindset.
2: Yeah, you know, in the past, I always just uh, like my, my main course, which is called 90 Days to 5K. And the premise behind that is in 90 days, I can teach you what it's going to take for you to be making 5000 a month in passive income. And a big portion of it is mindset because I I believe that if you have to have the right mindset to get into multifamily and dealing with other people's money, there's, there's just a different mindset to it. And so I always taught it. And then more and more people started... Looking to me for direction with with just mindset, you know, they maybe already had some buildings, but they weren't growing. They were they were stagnant. They couldn't get where they wanted to go, and but yet they knew enough about real estate that they could. But it was their mindset holding them back. So yeah, I launched uh, this year actually in August. I launched um, a, a mindset course. It's called Master Your Money Mindset, and uh, I, and my next go round starts in January. Um, but yet because this last one just finished. And that's a 12 week course as well. And that is really good about like, just wrapping your whole mind around what it takes to be wealthy, how to think differently about money. And uh, so many people have negative limiting beliefs about money that they're not even aware of. So I help them bring those to the surface so they can deal with them. And then, uh, you know, like, like most people have a paradigm and that's, you know, between the age of zero and seven our you know, our mind is an open slate. So if we lived with the family members that, um, you know, were poor and only had a certain mentality, you, you're that's in there. That's in mm-hmm. there so deep, you don't even know it. And, and unless you can get past that, you're stuck. You know, that's why they always say, you know, you get a comfort zone with your income, and you very seldom change. So if you want to make a quantum leap to, you know, Maybe making two, three, five hundred dollars a month in cash flow to ten thousand a month in cash flow. There's a mindset shift that has to happen.
1: Yeah, there's, this. I've, I've been, I've been thinking about the, that quite a bit. You know that, that concept. And if if people want to have an idea of what that mindset and how things work is that, you know, if I look back when I was in my twenties, I wouldn't expect I would be making what I'm making now. But you gradually. You're gradually moving up as I've got as I've gotten older, right? Well, frankly, once you get into that mindset and that comfort level, it's not really. I would make the argument it's not really your ex- experience and and your knowledge and everything anymore. It's it's that mindset is in the proper place where you, you rarely start to slide back when it comes to your your salary. So it, it whether you realize it or not, it's a minor mindset change you're you're progressing through
2: and you know even this is even just a simple exercise do you think you can double your income in the next year
1: I would like to think so
2: but when you you say
1: it that way it makes it hard to, to most
2: people would say no and yet if you look back have you ever doubled your income in the past no in a year I bet you have.
1: What did, have. You
2: earn? what did you earn when you were still in high school?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're you know, saying.
2: Like we have. But you do it in such a way that you don't notice. I remember when $10 an hour was awesome. Mm-hmm. Then I remember when $15 was awesome. Then I remember when $25 sucked. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you're going up in incremental jumps. And, and it's, it's a little mindset shift every time. Well, if you have the right person that you're working with, who's here and has made that mindset shift, it's that much easier for you to go from this mindset to that mindset. And it starts with just thinking through some of those things. Most people don't take enough time to think. You know, my coach says we should be sitting there thinking just for at least an hour a day, like just nothing else but thinking. Most people think that's that just what, why would you do that? You got to work hard. You got to work hard. You got to work hard. No, you don't have to work hard. You have to work smart. And, you know, we've we've done deals where we've got $75,000 acquisition fees on a purchase, refinanced three years later, got a $400,000 payday. And people can't fathom that. But we we did our first deal like that in 2012. So five years in, that was our kind of our first big deal. And that's when my eyes were really open to, holy cow there's a lot of opportunity here if you can find a property that you can force appreciation on there there's really big dollars to be made
1: well can you can you talk a little bit about that strategy you just pointed out there i mean i i'm just kind of derailing us here from the mindset thing for a second because what you're talking about is is a little foreign to some of our our listeners regarding that forced appreciation and then what are you getting it re remortgaged at that point?
2: Refinanced, yeah. Um, so in, in the in the housing world, people call it the BRRR method or the Burr right. method, right? right? So you buy it, you re, you renovate it, repair it, and, and then you refinance it. Same thing with apartment buildings, except you're doing it on a scale. The quickest we've been able to turn a building around without va- vacating it because you don't want to vacate it because you can't get proper financing. So we went in, bought a property. It was like built in 68, the owner had never updated it. 24 units. um, I think it was around 90,000 a door uh, at the time, and which was maybe five, six years ago. And we went in and we we re-renovated those units um, over like over the course of the 18 months, increased the rents because the rents had went up and we refinanced it, paid paid all our investors out in eighteen months, and had a decent payday on that one too. I think mine was like seventy thousand or something like that. But refinanced it, and uh, then it was just cash flow from there, you know, cash flow, mortgage pay down. Um, so yeah, it's it's the it's for, forced depreciation comes through um, making your building more valuable, and and multifamily is treated like a business, so. It's financed based on its income, not Mm -hmm. on the like. uh, housing is comparable. This house here could look like the Taj Mahal, but if it's in this neighborhood, it's not going to be worth much more than the rest of the houses in the neighborhood. Whereas a multifamily is based on the income that it provides to the building. And that's why I always call it an ideal investment because it has income, depreciation, um, equity, appreciation and leverage and those you put all those five together you reduce expenses that increases the value of your building you give a hundred dollar a month rent increase that increases the value of your building and and that's the the real different part from dealing with houses
1: sure so i can i can imagine much like a single family home you don't also you have to be fairly selective on the Area that you're you're attempting to do this with, right? Like, yeah,
2: yeah. You analyze we, when the we area. When,
1: oh, I was going to say when we this, uh, yeah. buy a single family home, and if we do a fix and flip, I I never want to be the most expensive house on the block. Exactly. You yeah. know, so I'm I'm guessing that's similar in this situation, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. You don't want to overdo it because again, you're not the one going to be living in it. Tenants are going to be living in it. They don't expect the same level. As, as you are, unless you're in the high end rentals, of course, but we're that's not our target area. Our target area is workforce housing.
1: Mm-hmm. So what part do you like typically stay investing in like your backyard or, or is it nationwide? How does that look?
2: We started in our backyard primarily because we had a really good market. We were in a real up market. Just to give you an example, um, we had bought our house in 2002 and we paid 222,000 for it. And in 2007, when we started getting into real estate, it was worth $470,000. So that's the kind yeah. of market we started in. And uh, so we use the equity out of our home to buy our first couple properties.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's a serious you know what? Now, the
2: last two purchases we made have been in the U S we bought, uh, uh, 80 doors in March, um, at about 20,000 a door. And we just got an accepted offer on 84 doors in, in Memphis at, uh, for a million bucks. But we've so, got to be highly, you know, vacant and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of work to do, but that's a forced appreciation, uh, play for Sure.
1: Sure. So when, you, when you're doing this type of work and you, you're buying something, in mem- where, where's, where's the company located? Like, what is your backyard?
2: Uh, in Saskatchewan, Canada. So central Canada.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're my first Canadian guest. Oh, am um, I? Yeah. So, that, and, and I thought that was the case, but I wanted to be, I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure. But yeah. you buy something in Tennessee. How do you manage that type of rehab and, uh, and appreciation from that distance?
2: We have managing partners, so um, our managing partner actually approached us, and he said um, he was a he was a buying agent, acquisition agent for another company, and he said, you know. The company I'm working for, uh, they can't buy anymore. They because they they had a reach and they'd already maximized what they could buy in that area. But he says I'm finding all kinds of properties. Let's put a let's put a some deals together and see what we can do. So he actually is there. He's on our boots on the ground, and my partner and I re raised the capital from back here. So it's mostly um, mostly Canadian investors, although we have some U.S. investors. And uh, but our, our both of our purchases have been in Memphis. You know, we always say in our, Toronto, which is our major city here, Toronto and Vancouver, you can't even buy a parking lot here for twenty thousand. We're buying per door in Memphis.
1: Hmm. So you you know this is this is we just uh, seem to be jumping around on you here tonight. Um, <laughs> but when when you were t- when you're bringing in a, a new student would you typically advise them to start in their backyard or how does that typically look?
2: It's pretty natural to do so unless you already know that your backyard is not conducive. Like I just had a new student sign up a week ago and she's in Colorado and she said, I've looked at all my prices all around here. She already owns like, I think six units. She said, the prices are crazy. Like I'm not going to be buying here. Uh, So she said, so she started looking in different areas. So lots of times people already have a good idea Um, usually, uh, the first building might be local if it works, but not always. Like one of my, uh, students started with me here a year ago. He's from Toronto, Toronto area, just a little bit outside. He bought his first building in Alberta, his second building in Alberta and his third building in Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, now he's looking at one just outside of Toronto in an area there, but you know, that's where he found his best numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you find managing, local managing people that can help you, you know?
1: Right. It's all about that network and building that team again, right?
2: Absolutely. And those were all private deals, too.
1: Right. So getting back to the, the mindset thing there, we were talking a little bit about um, uh, getting your mindset right to, to, to believe that, you, that this is possible, that you, you could essentially double your income. Like, do you have any tips or strategies or exercises somebody could possibly do today? Yeah, uh...
2: I do. I do. First of all, I want to explain that we have paradigms, which are really a multitude of habits that we do on a day-to-day basis, like things that we don't even think about. Brush our teeth, go to bed at a certain time, put our one leg in our pants at a time, like all these different habits. Those are paradigms. And we have a lot of ways of thinking about that when it comes to money. And while we have that, it's it's kind of good for us in a way because we don't ever have to think about it. But if it's something that's holding you back, you've got – to start thinking about it. Like, what is it? You got to explore that because there's usually only two ways that you can change a paradigm. And one way is you have a major emotional impact. It can be positive or negative, like you meet the right person and you're in love and everything's going great. Most of the time, it's something negative, like lost a job, lost a spouse, kid died. And, and they go like, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And then there's a, there's a paradigm shift. We call that a paradigm shift. When that happens, you can change your life. It could be, you know, maybe this actually happened to me several times in my life. Um, You know, I just, I hated not having money. I, I'd have a $2,000 credit card debt and I'd miss a, a payment and I'd be getting these phone calls. It was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like people doing that to me. And it was like, that's so negative, such a negative feeling like, oh, I never, ever want to have it happen that somebody calls me about something like that again. It's so embarrassing. Um, and And so those negative connotations put you in a place that says, I am changing my life and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So that happens sometimes. But the best way to change your paradigm is to recognize that you've got the challenge with it, and then work with a coach who can help you through all that, like help you identify what they are, and then move through them. One of the the greatest exercises you can do, and I tell my students this all the time, is auto-suggest or affirmations to yourself every day, I am statements. And things that I have my students do on a daily basis, and I mean daily, is affirm every day. I find that perfect deal. That perfect deal comes to me. I'm a money magnet. Investors are attracted to me. I know what I'm talking about. So I get all kinds of investors coming to me. And you know, if you repeat that to yourself often enough, you get that into your subconscious mind and that is how you start. Uh, repeating that self, uh, that self-talk every day, and also writing it down. So repetition of <laughs> thought. <laughs> I have kids in my house and dogs, and the the kids start moving, the dogs start barking. Um, that That's how you create a paradigm shift is repetition of thought. A belief is just a repetition of thought. A negative belief is it is a, is a uh, repetition of thought a positive belief is a repetition of thought and the best way write things out every day write out your I am statements say your auto auto suggestions out loud to yourself every day and you might feel goofy when you first start doing it but you know I was very young uh, my daughter was still in school and, and I had sticky notes all over my house I'm confident. I am professional. I had these and and my my daughter's friends, I still remember them saying, Well, your mom's kind of a little weird, eh? Like she what does she do? Like they have all these little sticky notes all over the bathroom mirror and stuff. But you know, they remember that about me. And so when when I became successful, they go, Oh yeah, I remember she used to do that all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that that's a big one, a really big one.
1: Yeah. I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm just going to build on that a little bit too. That affirmation can, ha- some of that can happen with uh, being selective regarding what you do with your free time, because uh, I, I my, my family has, uh, frankly, they, they've gotten used to it, but I got a lot of flack at first because I, and I still, to this day, I'm walking around the house with a podcast playing on my phone in my pocket. Or uh, an audio book, yeah. or or something else. You know, it's well,
2: you're feeding your mind. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it, and and frankly, I find I have to constantly feed my mind with that stuff. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope. As, as much as you like to gain, as much as we're talking about how you progress upward in your salary year after year, it's amazing how fast my your mindset can decline if you're not constantly feeding it you're not
2: working on it yeah i always tell my students new level new devil you should always be working on your mindset because if you're here you're not going to be happy when you're here you're not going to be happy so it's just all like you you don't set goals to to um get you set goals to grow and you're always going to want to grow when you're happiest you're growing and uh, that that's some of the biggest things that people need to wrap their head around is you're never done. You're never done. If you think, uh, oh, when I make 5000 a month, I'm going to be so happy and I'm just going to be happy and content there forever. Not true. Mm-hmm. When you make 10000 a month, you think, oh, I'm just going to be happy and that's going to be like the, ah, the be all, end all. And, and then when I, you know, and it just, but every time you hit a goal, it, you're designed, you're you're internally designed to want more.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, talking about wanting more, I understand you're working on like one of your bigger acquisitions right now that could possibly double the number of doors you have, right?
2: Well, that's what with this group that I'm working with in the US, uh, we'd set a goal that we would have 400 doors by the end of the year. So it looks like we're not going to have 400 doors, but we're going to have 180, 184. And we did that within six months. So by the, by six months, which is March was our first possession. We could, have, we could typically have that. And right now we have 600. So uh, that includes the first, but I didn't add in the last 84. So back if we get, if we get this, we haven't, uh, we just have it under contract. We don't own it yet, but if we get that, it'll make it
1: 684. Yeah. Wow. It, it's amazing how, how much you've grown to that many doors and, frankly, I think in a, in a relatively quick amount of time, I mean,
2: 13 years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, 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 it sounds like, uh, the, the amount of experience that you bring to your students is, is probably very valuable. Uh, with that, I would also, I'm going to just point again to your website, Mm -hmm. um, ednakeep.com easy to spell, easy, easy to pronounce. And uh, you probably noticed we have a very similar accents to our voices. <laughs> yeah, I did. <do. laughs> so, with that, um, I, you know, in the in the next few minutes that we have remaining here, I kind of wanted to wrap up and and mention a few things, a little some takeaways that you brought up on our show. But before we do that, I always ask: Is there a question that you wished I would have asked here tonight?
2: think so. One thing I would like to point out is, you know, even as a financial advisor, I had a coach. So I got my first coach in 1999. And I've never been without one, because that is one of my biggest keys for growth, is having somebody who's been there, done that, and shares it with me. And being around like minded people is so important to your success, like success, being in an environment, people doing the same thing that you're trying to do.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I can't agree more. It's uh, so important, mm-hmm. you know. There is some. There is a lot of truth in that uh, old adage. You're, you're the sum of the five people you hang out with the most.
2: Totally true. Yeah.
1: And um, if you're not feeding yourself with the the necessary um, podcasts and audiobooks and the coaches and the and your peers, um, maybe you need to revisit some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. But, um, a few things that uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, I, I, the the, concept, the mindset thing, and what you're talking about, and and I look forward to taking a look at your your mindset uh, curriculum that you're going to be putting out because I think that is the number one thing that people have to get get right first. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a tendency of reacting to pain instead of just. Dis- being proactive, proactive towards pleasure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, mindset is such a big thing and it's a huge obstacle whether I, I, you know, a lot of people when they, when I'm talking to people, they always are seem to be stuck in analysis paralysis. Mm,
2: so many. Yeah.
1: And, and it is such a mindset thing that, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's something that you really have to break through. Yeah. Uh, so do. any any help that people can get there through a coach or your program or what have you, got to get that mindset right.
2: Yeah, and you know I do also do I do uh, mindset Mondays for, uh, on Facebook Live. Sometimes I send out recordings depending what what I got on the go, but I've got like thousands of, of really good uh, videos. Mindset Monday and Free Coaching Friday, and that I, they can find me at uh, Coach Edna Keep on uh, Facebook as well.
1: Yeah, so that's that's great to to tune in. Is it at a, a specific time every day?
2: 10 a.m. Monday morning and 10 a.m. Friday morning, Central
1: Central Time. Central Time, sure. Yeah. So, um, I really to, to the point when we're talking about mindset. Uh, you really did this right because you started off by studying how to be rich. You didn't study about getting into real estate. You didn't study about getting into financial planning, you started by studying about being rich. And it really is that mindset, again, that, that's, that's just remarkable. I, that, that, that starting point is, is just awesome.
2: Well, and you know, even before I knew what I was doing and what was causing my success... I was doing simple things like writing out affirmations and saying things. I still remember this one book I read years ago called, What Do You Say When You Talk to Yourself? And I remember sitting it in the bathroom and reading it out loud to myself in the morning because that was my worst time of day is when I first woke up, I'd be beating, beating the heck out of myself. And I and I thought, well, I, that's easy to do. Like That's easy to do. Writing things out, that's easy to do. I can do that. I don't have a clue how to become rich, but they tell me how to, to do that. And those are some of the key things. And because they're so simple and because they're so easy, people don't do them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I really want people to remember that one phrase that you you brought up as well. New level, new devil.
2: New level, new devil. That's why I'm always, even today, I have mindset coach and I meet with them twice a week. Um, and makes all the difference in my business.
1: Yeah. I, I really can't thank you enough, Edna. This was a great conversation and and You're most uh, welcome. And um, I hope everybody checks out your website and uh, your Facebook Live. I mean, there has to be a ton of great content Content there. Look for Edna Keep on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, ednakeep.com uh, for your coaching. And, and there's a lot of training material and a lot of free information there as well. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight.
2: You're most welcome. It was absolutely
1: my pleasure.